Isn't it reassuring to know that no matter what we go through in life, we can count on the constant of God's love that remains with us? That's good stuff. Amen? Amen. Well, I want to invite you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 4. And we, uh, we're in this series, Strangest Things, because we are looking at the strangest prophet in the Bible. And we've been through the first three chapters, kind of seeing how God appeared to him in this vision to Ezekiel. And God gives him this very unusual ministry. And uh, he pretty much tells uh, Ezekiel, uh, I'm going to give you a ministry to a stubborn and hard-hearted people. And they're not really going to listen, but you're going to preach it anyway. And I'm going to make you stubborn, uh, just like them, so that all their threats and all their ignoring you and all their mocking you, that um, it won't really matter. And you... This is your ministry to them. And so Ezekiel is not thrilled about that ministry, but yet he embraces it and he begins to, um, uh, to, to carry out this ministry. And um, not only is it a, a difficult ministry, but it is a weird ministry. I mean, we started off with this almost bizarre vision, but beyond just the visions of God that he gets, the things that God is going to ask him to do are not ordinary things, because ordinary things wouldn't be heard. In fact, God has sent prophet after prophet after prophet over the years to say, Wake up, my people. I don't want you to end up with the devastation and destruction that's going to come. And yet, they were snoozing through all of this. They weren't listening. Or if they listened, they said yes with their lips, but their hearts remained hard. And so basically God is taking it to level 10 or, or 11. He's turning it all the way up. He's saying, this is going to get your attention. If nothing else will, I'm going to put it out here. And so God does a lot of strange and weird things through Ezekiel. And we're going to see some more of that. In chapters 4 and 5, which are formed the basis of this message, we're not going to read all that, just part of chapter 4, but... Um, God calls on Ezekiel to put on a show, to put on a a spectacle that everybody is going to see and talk about. Not many are going to praise it, most are going to mock it, but none can ignore the one-man show that Ezekiel puts on. And so I want you to listen, uh, follow along in your Bible, and stand in honor and reverence for the reading of God's Word. As we read Ezekiel chapter 4, and we're going to um, read verses 9 through 17. Ezekiel 4, beginning in verse 9. Now go and get some wheat, barley, lentils, millet, and emmer wheat, and mix them together in a storage jar. Use them to make bread for yourselves. During the 390 days, you will be lying on your side. Ration this out to yourself, eight ounces of food for each day, and eat it at set times. Then measure out a jar of water for each day and drink it at set times. Prepare and eat this food as you would barley cakes. While all the people are watching, bake it over a fire using dried human dung as the fuel, and then eat the bread. Then the Lord said, This is how Israel will eat defiled bread in the Gentile lands to which I banished them. Then I said, O sovereign Lord, must I be defiled by using human dung? For I have never been defiled before from this 
From the time I was a child until now, I have never eaten any animal that died of sickness or was killed by other animals. I have never eaten any meat forbidden by the law. All right, the Lord says, you may bake your bread with cow dung instead of human dung. Then he told me, son of man, I will make food very scarce in Jerusalem. It will be weighed out with great care and eaten fearfully. The water will be rationed out drop by drop. And the people will drink it with dismay. Lacking food and water, the people will look at one another in terror. And they will waste away under their punishment. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, I come to you today and I ask that even as we marvel over the strangeness of Ezekiel's words and actions and even your instructions to him, Father, we would not go away with merely a sense of seeing something that has been weird and different, but more than that, Father, we'd get a sense of seeing you and understanding you and your character and your care for us. God, we pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. <coughs> I am sure that if you raise all boys or all girls, you can have a wonderful experience with either. But it is very interesting, if you're privileged like I am, to, to have some of each, to really notice the contrast between them growing up and how they act and how they behave. Uh, in particular, especially as they are younger, little girls, whether they're playing with one another or, or by themselves, they just have this, here, have a cup of tea, and let's change the doll's diaper, and you know, all this. And on the other hand, little boys, it's like, they got the action figures out, right? I mean, and there's one, you better not do it. I'm going to do it. I told you, you better not. I'm going to do it anyway. Bow, 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 bow. You know, I mean, it's just such a contrast. And I mean, Things were so easy, especially for Caleb when he was younger. I mean, once they got past the cardboard box stage where they liked that better than the presents, you know, it got more expensive for Courtney and, and Marin along the way. But, you know, for Caleb, for years and years, it was really easy to make him so happy. I mean, you could put up the birthday streamers and the hats and get the cake. But basically, you needed just a little simple something like this right here, a little green army man. I tell you, dollar store sells a bag of them for a buck, and it's the best thing ever. Every so often, just to see a smile on his face, I would just go and, and buy a bag of those, and he'd be so excited, and they'd be stored in a shoebox under his bed, and he would have all these wars, and, you know, it, it was a mix of army men and happy, bit, happy meal toys and things he actually bought, and, you know, they were all fighting it out, Lego men, all kind of guys in there in that battle. And by the way, this little guy, he sits on uh, my desk here at the office, and I got him from Julie Vi. One, one Sunday, she gave us these from Children's Church as a reminder to pray for David and for our troops. And so this sits on my desk, and every time I look at it, that's what I do. But you know, that's just something that um, boys tend to do, right? We, 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 we play. And God's first instruction to Ezekiel, the first part of this three-act show, was playing soldiers. 
God tells him in the first few verses, before the verses we read, he says, I want you to make a model of the city. And it's, um, it's a, the scholars say that it was probably about twice the size of a regular uh, eight and a half by 11 size piece of paper. And you make this little model of the city of Jerusalem. And then you're going to start setting up a, a, a model for battle. You're going to make ramps as they're trying to, to get up. You're going to make siege engines. You're going to put soldiers all around. And he made this detailed play with soldiers and says, this is exactly what's going to happen to Jerusalem. And by the way, if that wasn't, you know, good enough for the people to notice Ezekiel, that there he's out in the middle of the town square setting up this little war scene, uh, he says, by the way, um, you're going to sit on your side for 390 days, and you're going to lay on your side, and you're going to just watch what happens. And every day, you're not going to be able to move. You're just going to sit there, and you're going to stare at that. And by the way, there's going to be this big piece of steel or metal in between, just showing how cut off from any help they are. And so this first act was showing that God was going to bring um, destruction to Jerusalem, that they needed to repent, that they needed to turn back, that they were going to be besieged by this army. And so that was, that was kind of a, a real visual aid there. Well, the next thing gets even more interesting. It's kind of the, the part we read. In this second act, I call it recipe for disaster. And God starts uh, listing off just a few things, get some millet and some wheat and some you know, in your first reading, you're like, well, this is a vegan recipe here, right? Ezekiel's going vegan, okay? And, and he puts all these grains and wheats together, and you're thinking, this is really, I'm sure, super healthy, but uh, it's going to taste really bad, but we don't know yet how bad it's going to taste until God says, oh, and by the way, um, when you get all this stuff together and you're going to mix it, and, and by the way, all those different wheats, it, it represents that there's so much scarcity that there's not even enough of one kind to make a loaf of bread. You've got to just scrounge and scramble and do whatever you can to put it all together, and, and then you actually have something you can make a loaf of bread. But God says, oh, yeah, and by the way, once you get all that together and once you, you're going to bake it, <laughs> um, you're not going to use a little kindling for your fire. You're, you're not going to chop down a, a pine tree. Uh, I want you to take human excrement and uh, let it dry up into chips, and you're going to burn that, and um, that's the fire that you're going to cook your bread over. And Ezekiel flips out at this point. <laughs> no way, God. But, you know, here's the interesting thing. <laughs> it's not necessarily what we think it is because this is going to taste like, you know. It's basically, he says, God, I've never done anything to defile myself. I've never broken any of the dietary laws. So God gives him this compromise. Okay, you can use cow manure instead. You know, we're, I'm sure he's, gee, thanks, Lord. Okay, but uh, at least he wasn't defiling himself in the way that he would have, according to their ritual laws, uh, by using the cow manure. And by the way, this was so awful 
the, the rabbis tell a story that about two or 300 years later, the rabbis were interested in this mixture and how bad it really was. So they actually followed this recipe that he had to use and they, they got wild starving animals. I think it was wild starving dogs and even they wouldn't eat it. It was that bad. Nothing would eat this stuff. And if it wasn't bad enough, he says, basically, you're going to have to ration the amount that you give yourself each day. Um, you're going to have only have about eight ounces of food. And by the way, you're only going to have a little bit of water. I think it was about uh, two-thirds of a quart of water was all the food and all the water that he got for each of those days. It was a near-starvation diet. And so... He was acting out for them. He was visually demonstrating. This was like the ultimate visual aid for all to see that when this destruction of God comes, when God finally, after over and over and over again, pleads with them, repent, do right, or destruction is coming, that when that time comes, that there will be famine, that there will be scarcity, that people will barely have enough to stay alive, and what they will eat will be completely awful. So that's the second part, the second act of this one-man show. And the, um, the third act, uh, I entitle this, A Bad Day at the Barber. Now, uh, I myself went to uh, get my hair cut uh, this weekend. I went on Friday to Walmart. And uh, there's two things I don't like, going to Walmart and getting a haircut. I thought I might as well do them at the same time. So I went in. How long does it take to get a haircut? This was about a 30-minute wait. I said, okay, I'll go do my shopping. I got a few things, came back, and, and I told her, I said, you know, cut it kind of shorter. I want to be able to spike it up a little bit, do a little something different with it. So I get to, um, get to the checkout there, and I look up on the sign. It says Express Haircut, uh, 13 bucks. And uh, then she charges me, she says, 17-something. And I said, well, that's, that says shampoo and haircut is 17-something. And she said, oh, that exp that, that, that's express cut. That's just a buzz cut. That's all that. I'm like, I was having a hard time keeping a straight face because I said, do you see what you just did here? You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, I, I thought I should have got that $13 rate. But, you know, I, I went with it. Uh, but my, my day at the, at the barber was not nearly as bad as what Ezekiel had. Because God tells Ezekiel something real interesting. First, he says, I want you to go and I want you to shave out in the middle of everybody where they all can see you. Um, I want you to shave off all of your hair off of your head and all of your hair off of your beard. Now, first of all, that would be rather strange and, and you know, uh, out there, but especially Middle Eastern men, they, they prided themselves on their beard. If this stuff went, that was okay, but this was very important. But he said, I want you to shave all of it uh, in full sight of everybody. But God didn't say go out and get a, 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 a little razor to do that, or even a crocodile dundee knife. God says, I want you to go out and get a sword. <laughs> and I want you to take this sword, and out in the middle of the crowd with everyone watching, I, I, you know, people are like, come on, Ezekiel, that's overkill, right? I mean, just a little overkill. But there he is going with a sword, shaving his hair and shaving his uh, beard. And when he does this, God gives him very specific instructions for all the hair. He is to take all of this hair 
And he, he puts it all together kind of on a scale. You know, some of you who are real Weight Watchers, dieters, or whatever, you might have one of those kitchen scales. Well, he has to measure it all out and get it in exactly three little piles. And the three little piles of hair, uh, first of all, he takes one pile of hair, and we go back to the first scene. Remember when he set up this whole mock scene of Jerusalem? Well, the first third of his hair, he takes it and, and he throws it inside the city, and he burns it up and lights all that hair on fire. And he said, well, that's all the people that are going to die inside the city waiting for this siege to come. And then the second third of hair, he, uh, God says, take it and scatter it all on the outsides around the city. And that sword uh, that you use to, to do your shaving with, go around and start chopping it. So here's Ezekiel. He's thrown the hair around, and here he is chopping like a madman around this little uh, model of war, chopping at the hair that's already been cut off. And that is to demonstrate that there are um, more people, another third, are going to die in battle outside the city. And then he says, take that other third that's left... Uh, most of it, because we're going to hear about a little tiny bit that you hold on to. He says, take that other third that you've left and take it and throw it up in the wind and let the wind blow it and scatter it all over the place. I'm sure the people passing by right there were like, <coughs> come on, Ezekiel. I didn't want a taste of your hair today. That was not what I wanted. But all this scatters over this marketplace where he is preaching. And he says, that is God's sign that God is going to um, spread the people out. There is going to be an exile, and his people will be dispersed far away from that holy land that they had, that was their possession, that should have been their possession forever, and yet they were going to be scattered away from it because of their sin. And he said, now, one little tiny pinch off of one of those thirds, he said, I want you to keep that and kind of put it in a little fold in your garment, kind of like a pocket. And that represented the few exiles that were really going to be saved and have a good life and things were going to go right. But even out of that little bit of hair, he said, take a little bit of that and throw it in the fire because that represents that some of those exiles, even they're not going to really be saved and taken care of. God tells him afterward, he said, things are going to get so bad that there is going to be death by disease, there's going to be death by fire, there's going to be death by famine, there's going to be death on the wayside as people trying to escape, that all of this comfortable life that they've had and they've kept on sinning and doing whatever they wanted, they've followed after other gods, they've followed after prosperity, they've oppressed the poor, they have uh, withheld from God what they were supposed to, They've done all of these sinful things in God's eyes. And all of this is coming back on them at this time. It's going to be so bad in the last part of this verse, the last part of chapter 5, there's actually cannibalism that takes place in the city of Jerusalem. That is how awful the situation gets. Now, once again, what do we get out of this? Other than it being interesting... Hopefully you have some mental pictures now of some things that, that, that you will not forget. But don't forget the point of all this. It was not spectacle for the sake of spectacle. 
these great big symbols, these visual aids, this big show he put on was all for a point. And that point was God has not forgotten. God has not left you alone. God is persevering with you. You see, the idea is God's with us. And he cares about us. And he warns us, don't go down this path. Walk on the paths of life. Do the right thing so that you will be blessed and so that your life will be fulfilled in service to me. It's not a selfish type of fulfillment, but it's a fulfillment of doing what God has called us to do. But when we get off that track... God is going to warn us. God is going to be with us. And you know what? Like one of the 19th century uh, preachers in England said, God is the hound of heaven. And by talking about him as a hound, they were talking about a bloodhound. That is, God is on our trail. God does not give up. He is not shaken loose. He continues to pursue us. He continues to send messages to us. Now, like the people of Israel in that time, we can get hardened. We can get, we've heard this before, we've heard this before, we've heard this before. And every time we hear it and we don't repent from this sin, and it might be a sin of action or a sin of inaction. It might be a sin of the tongue. It might be a sin of the mind. But whatever our sin is, as we hold on to and cherish that sin... We begin to get more deaf to the voice of God. We begin to get more distant and more disconnected from him. And so God has to get louder with us to break through to us. And God will do almost anything to get through to you. Unfortunately, that often means that because of our stubbornness, some really bad things have to happen at some points in our life. Am I saying every bad thing in your life is because of God's judgment? No, absolutely not. We live in a sinful and broken world, and bad things do just happen. But the Bible also teaches that all things work together for the good of those who love him. Not that all things are good, but that all things that happen, both good and bad, God will use them in our life to bring us closer to him. He perseveres with his message. The Bible says that all around us, we are receiving messages to draw him. The heavens declare the glory of God. God's spirit speaks to our spirit. His angels are at work. People and circumstances around us, all of these things God uses to speak to us, to reach out to us, to bring us back to him. And if we listen to his words, and if we heed them and obey them, then we are blessed. And even if we go through tough times, we go through them with God by our side and on our side, and we go through them with his blessing and with his hand. But the Bible says, if not, then we die in our sins. If not, we one day stand before an almighty God with nothing to answer but rebellion against him. Those of us who've heard God's word, we bear more responsibility. Spider-Man made famous, Spider-Man comics and then later the movies, made famous the statement, with great power comes great responsibility. 
And that's a great statement, but really it's just rewording of what God said 2,000 years ago in the Bible where he says, where much is given, much is required. Where much is given, much is required. We have been given God's word. We have been given his instructions on how to live, how to deal with others, with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with our friends, and with our family. How to treat people right, how to deal with our finances, how our emotions should not be caught up in greed, in jealousy, in vengeance, in lust. How our actions towards others should be kindness and goodness doing good works to others so that people can glorify God. We've been given that responsibility to live for God. And God will pursue each one of us to keep on drawing us to him. But when God has to get louder in our lives because we have grown deafer to his voice, it's not a place where we want to be. The place that the Israelites ended up with was a place of great sorrow. But do you know this? For all of the sin and trouble that Israel still had in Jesus' day, do you know the one trouble that they didn't have was idolatry? They, they got it. They finally understood when God's judgment came that we got to quit messing around with the pagan idols and following after everything else that, that all of these other pagans, all these other ungodly people follow after. We're going to follow after God and his one true word. God's given us his word. He's given us much. And much is required of us. But guess what? As we seek to do those things for him, He's there also to give us the strength to live for him. Would you pray with me today? Heavenly Father, God, we come and we, we understand that, Lord, you pursue us. God, you persevere with us long after we would have given up, long after we would have said, forget them. God, you do not forget us. As your word tells us, though even your, our mothers and fathers may forget us, you will not. God, you will be with us. Lord, if there are particular sins in our lives that we have cherished and we have held on to and we have excused because this is what our family does or because this is the way society is today or we say this is just who I am, or we've made a thousand different excuses. We've even perhaps said that this wrong thing that you say is wrong, we've tried to make it right. God forbid that we argue with you and your word. God, convict us where we have failed you. We thank you for your perseverance, but Father, we ask that we would not cause you to have to speak more forcibly to us because we want to have tender hearts, God, that hears your voice even when you speak in quietness. Be with us now in this time of response to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.